This uh, Wednesday night, we are going to have a sack stuffing party. If you, uh, if you signed up to be a part of the, the Hot Pepper Festival this weekend, there are times at the back that you can sign up for that. Um, Wednesday night, we're going to be stuffing a whole mess of sacks because we give away free diapers and we'll give away a DVD about the church. Um, there'll be a uh, magnet in there, different things like that. So we'll set up an assembly line this Wednesday night at 6.30 down in the kids zone. That's right below us. And uh, we'll stuff all those, at least 100 sacks that we'll be getting ready to go on, on Saturday. And there's still room for you to uh, sign up if you want to do that. We will be going around at the parade, handing out little pieces of paper that say NLCCP.com. And uh, if, if folks want to know where we are, you just send them to the banner that says that. I don't know where we've been assigned yet. I don't know where our booth is. Um, but supposedly this year they've changed the, the route and changed the setup and everything. It's supposed to make it a smoother deal, so we'll see. Uh, Anytime they change anything, I wonder if it's going to be smoother, you know, the first time they change it. So we'll see. Um, but you just go look for the banner, the black and white banner that says NLCCP.com. Um, and if you want to help with that, be here Wednesday at 630. Now, if you haven't been here with us in this series, basically what we're doing is we're taking the words God heals and we're going through each letter and we're explaining how God heals and how he helps you deal with your pain. The first step was G, and this is on your listening guide you have there on the table. This was get help. This is what I call the reality step. The reality says that I can't control my life. I am powerless to fix this addiction or this problem or this pain that's in my past. And so you admit that you're powerless, that you need help. And so the the, the quick phrase you remember is I can't get help is I can't do it on my own. Second week, we, we looked at what I call the hope step. I can't. But God can. I don't have the power, but there is a power and his name is God. There is a higher power. This is open your heart to God. You open your heart to God that you realize that God exists, that you matter to him and that he wants a relationship with you. That's the O. And those are two pretty big steps. But the third step we looked at last week, um, maybe a life changing step for some of you folks that that took this step for the first time. D is is what I call the surrender step. D is where you turn everything over to God. It's depend on Christ. I, re- I realize I need to turn my life over to Christ. I need to depend on Him in all areas of my life, including all that I say, think, and do. A lot of people will say, yeah, God, I'll be glad to give you my pain, but I'm going to hold on the rest of my life. And God says, no, I don't work like that. You give me everything, then I begin to work healing in your life. And we said that the number one problem that keeps people from, from depending on Christ is pride. Pride keeps us uh, saying, I don't have any problems. Who me? No, I can handle it. I don't have anything going on in my life when, when that's not really true. Pride keeps you from intimacy with Jesus, keeps you from healing. Now, today is the fourth step, and this is what I call the house cleaning step. So you got the reality step, the hope step, the surrender step, and this one is the house cleaning step. The H in the word heal is honestly examine and confess. Be honest about your past and examine your life. I agree to evaluate my life, confess my faults to God, uh, to myself, to God and someone I trust. What keeps people from experiencing healing? Why is it that so many people just keep doing the same thing over and over and they keep having pain in their lives? What keeps them from experiencing God's power in their lives? Well, it's one word, but it's really a big word. It's the word guilt. You have guilt over some things in your past, and it's like this huge hurdle you can't get over. It's like a poison that comes and and attacks your life, and it tears you down. And some folks, you know, (laughs) some of you will remember back in third grade when you cheated on a test, and that'll cause you guilt. 
Some folks remember the third abortion that they had, and that causes them guilt, along with everything else that's been going on in their life. And it paralyzes them because they're feeling guilt over their past. Guilt is a killer. And I was reading about a man who has worked in the inner city with drug addicts, and he's done this for numbers of years. And here's what he said. He said, I've decided there's one key in determining whether individual drug addicts can be cured. If they deeply believe they are a forgivable child of God, not a perfect child of God, a forgivable one. That just stuck in my mind. Because if you understand that God wants to forgive you, this man is saying he sees people get well. But the people that, that are trapped in their guilt, he says they never get well because they can't get over the past. They're stumbling over their past. And true followers of God humble themselves before God and admit their problems. And then they, raise, they rise up courageously knowing that you can't change the past, but you've got to face the future. Well, why is this whole part, uh, part of the, the recovery process? Well, let me tell you just three things about guilt. This isn't on your listening guide. This is just extra. Guilt destroys your confidence. Think about this. You can't be a confident person if you are worried about the guilt that's going on in your life. Because you're insecure because you're saying things like, what if they find out? Oh, my goodness. What if they know the truth about me? Then they'll reject me. They won't like me. You'll be insecure. It'll destroy your confidence. Many years ago, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, who is the writer of the Sherlock Holmes novels, he was quite the prankster, and he decided to, to pull a prank on the five most prominent men in England. And so what he did was, he wrote this anonymous note to these five prominent men, and here's what the note said. All is found out. Flee at once. True story. Within 24 hours, all five men had left the country. Sounds like some of those movies, you know, I saw what you did last summer, I heard what you said ten years ago, I don't know. Um, that's a guilty conscience that caused them to leave. They didn't know who wrote the note, they just knew they'd done some things that they didn't want found out, so they cruised. So guilt destroys your confidence. Guilt also damages your relationships. Guilt causes me to respond to other people in wrong ways. Um, have you ever been around somebody that kind of has a nuclear fallout over a firecracker issue? You know, something that's really not a big deal. They just go ballistic because they're feeling guilty about something else. It causes me to react to my wife in, in, in unfair ways and my children in unfair ways because I'm guilty over something else. They don't even know what's going on in my mind, but I'm feeling bad and it causes me to mess up in relationships. And the reality is a lot of marriage problems today are caused by things that happened before you ever got married and you're dealing with guilt issues and it's still in your marriage and it's destroying marriages today. The third thing about guilt is it keeps us stuck in the past. Living in the past is like driving, always looking in your rearview mirror. Ladies, I see a lot of you looking in the rearview mirror when you're putting on lipstick. My wife is one of those, not that drives, you know, I'd give her a hard time about that, but she's one of those that every time she eats a meal, I mean, it's just this thing. We go on dates and if she's not carrying her purse, I have to carry the, the lipstick. I mean, that's love right there. I have to put it in my pocket. She'll say, where's my lipstick? And I'm like, here, you know. She always has to put on her lipstick after a meal. That's just something she does. And, and I see a lot of ladies going down the road, talking on the cell phone, putting on lipstick, doing this, you know, and all this stuff. How do you expect to not have a wreck? If you're going in, looking in your rearview mirror all the time, you wouldn't want to be on a road with somebody like that. Driving, looking in your... It gives you perspective about the back, but it was never intended to be your primary target during, during driving. That's just something that you're supposed to, to look at occasionally. What guilt does is it causes us to replay over and over and over those things in our past that we would like to change, but that we cannot change. 
And guilt can't change the past, just like worry can't change the future. All it does is it ruins today. It makes you miserable today. I read a report that said psychiatrists believe that 70%, as many as 70% of people who are in a psychiatric hospital could probably leave today if they knew how to resolve their guilt. But they don't. When I swallow my guilt, my stomach keeps score. And if I don't talk it out with God and with other people, then I take it out on myself. And I beat myself up over the past. So this is a real important step, but it's a scary step. And this is the one that separates the men from the boys. This is the one that separates people who say, who say I want to get well from those who actually get well. Those who say, you know, I want to get over my past. I want to deal with it. I want to bury it. The problem is you can't bury the past if it's still alive, if you keep it coming up in your mind. This is the, the most important step that we've talked about other than depending on Christ. You've got to give your life to Christ first. But this is where healing is going to start. How do you get over guilt? You take step four in this road to healing. And the good news is this is the key to relief. If you take the steps, if you follow through what I'm going to, what I'm going to share with you today, then you can experience this verse, Psalm 32.1. What happens for those whose guilt has been forgiven? What relief for those who have confessed their sins and God has cleared their record? It starts with God. You, you tell God about it. And He says, there's relief. There's forgiveness. Your record is wiped out. Well, the verse that we're looking at today, we're looking at the, the Beatitudes, which is in Matthew uh, chapter 5. And uh, that's part of Jesus' most famous sermon. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 8 says this, God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. I think your, your listening guide says, happy are the pure in heart, up there at the top. Now, why would Jesus say happy or healthy or blessed are the pure in heart? Well, this is on your listening guide as well. Because the pure in heart, first, they take time to recognize their impurity. What this does is it forces us to evaluate the past. Then the second thing the pure in heart do is, is uh, they do what they can with the impurities. They do the possible. Circle that word possible. This is a key in this, this whole step today. You do the possible. God does the impossible. Is it possible to erase your past? No. So you've got to give it up. You do what's possible and you allow God to do the other thing. This forces you to learn from the truth of what's happened in your life. And then the pure in heart, letter C, allow God to do the impossible. And this is where you begin to move towards healing. Now, every week in this series, we've been interviewing someone about real pain, real issues in their life, and, and what's, what's going on right now. This week, I uh, interviewed Josh uh, San Miguel, and here's what he had to say. been talking about life hurts, God heals, and uh, when you think about your past, some of the things that, that hurt from your past, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Steroids. Um, steroids and not, not finishing school. I, was, I am a high school dropout, and um, it's something that I tried to get over, and uh, you know, I just put it in my backpack and I keep on going. I have a daughter four-year-old son and wife now, so those things right now are more important than what happened in my past, what's went on in my past, so I just go to work every day and try to be a father and a husband. 
What, how old were you when you dropped out of high school? Fifteen. What uh, What were the circumstances surrounding it? I just started hanging around the wrong crowd. Just thought that these guys were cooler than my old friend. My old friend just seemed kind of snobby. I was like, well, I'll get you some new friends. And, you know, everyone thought they were cool. I thought they were cool. You know, they were rich kids. They had money. So I started hanging out with them. And, you know, I, I got the blame for getting in trouble, you know, going out and stealing fashion mailboxes. Got caught. I got the blame. Their parents had money to bail them out, you know. My parents didn't. My parents weren't supportive. You know, I sat in juvenile for two weeks, no phone calls, nothing. Mm-hmm. And so um, I was like, well, I just need more new friends. So um, I met up with an older guy, became my best friend, and um, I knew that he used steroids and you know, he worked out and he was a buffo guy. You know, just muscles everywhere, and everyone just thought. He was, the girls loved him. He thought he was so good looking and all his muscles. So I was like, well, I'm going to do that. You know? And so I got on steroids. Just forgot about the school. It wasn't important then. And you said the steroids affected you. How did they affect you? At first, uh, just knowing that I was taking steroids and I'm going to look like my buddy, you know, get these muscles and work out and everything. I'm going to eat right. I might see any mood swings, any, you know, anger, but the anger was there. It just, I wasn't acknowledging it. Just letting the steroids cover it up, and this anger just built up. And when I would go home and associate with my family, it was always an argument. Didn't get along. My dad and I would fight. And um, the first time my dad and I had ever gotten to a fist fight is when I found out he was cheating on my mom. And um, he didn't care that I knew that he was cheating on the mom. I think that, that with the roads, and I kind of felt like, well, my parents had too much going on in their lives to worry about me and not finishing school. So I did more roads, and I would just find a place to stay. Until it welcome kind of got worn out. You told me that for a while the steroids were free, but then they weren't free. So what'd you do? I got a job, four hundred bucks a week. You know, um, you know, I was like, I'll fix a few more cards, more quick cash. So I was like, well, it's four hundred bucks a week. That's a month's worth cycle of roids, an apartment, and a vehicle. And then the rest of the money, I can just go blow and have a good time, meet girls. And I did all that, and I ended up with a kid. And she's lived with me for, I don't know, we met. Two weeks later, she's moved in. A month later, she's moved out. A month and a half later, she tells me that she's pregnant. And two months later, you know, I just, I get into an argument with a coworker. Get mad. We kind of wrestle around in the back shop. I quit. I don't have a job. I don't have a place. I don't have any money. But I got a kid on the way. So it's just tough, <laughs> right? Well, it takes a lot of courage for you to to share this, especially with our whole church. What are some things that give you hope for the future? 
um, how can we as a church help you to deal with some of these things? Because I, I have never, I don't think anyone can help me with my issues. I'm not saying that, I don't know that for a fact, I just, that's the way I feel about things because I've kept them balled up for such a long time and when I hear someone talk about problems that are similar, I just blow it off because I don't want to think about what happened in my past. Does it hurt to think about those things? And there's a little emotion in your voice. So it's still painful. Yeah. Now, if, if somebody out here is listening, and you know maybe they they're thinking about dropping out of school, or maybe they're thinking about doing steroids, um, what kind of advice would you have for them? Go to church. Get around friends and people who are supportive. Because if your parents aren't supportive, and you just can't help yourself, someone out there will. God's always going to be there. And people who you know that will love you will always be there. And someone will love you. And someone can and will help you. When did you meet God? That was fairly recently, wasn't it? Yeah, it was when um, my wife and I were separated. I went to everybody I could to get some help. And I couldn't find anybody. Mm. And, um, and I did pray. Uh, well, I just remember when he talked about going to church, and it just seems like everyone who went to church was just so much happier. And one day, it just God came to me, and um, I just knew everything would be better. And since that day, um, my marriage is just wonderful. I have a daughter. My life is great, and I've only missed one Sunday. Sunday at church. So, since then, my life is wonderful now. So, is at that time that you gave your life to Christ? Yeah. Cool. So, you would say to others that that was a good step. That was a good choice. Best. All right. When I first started talking to Josh that night... um, because of the walls that he put up around his heart, he said, you know, I really don't have a lot of pain. Um, but, but that was because he was focusing on now. You know, he, he kept looking over. Y'all couldn't see, but Jessica was sitting just off camera. And when he would say something about his wife, he was looking up at her. And, and you could just see the, the emotion, um, the feelings that he has for her. But it didn't take long for us to realize that, that it does still hurt. And... Um, And we've got to do something with that pain. At first, he said, "Um, I don't think anybody can help me with my pain. Have you all ever felt like that? You've had something you think there's no one can help. That is such a natural reaction. But by the end, I said, what would you tell other people? He said, get in church. And and it broke my heart. I was sitting there with my heart breaking when, when Josh said, I looked everywhere I could for help. And no one could help me. That's why we built the church. That's why we started New Life Community Church, so we could be a place that people could come and feel unconditional love and get help with those issues. That's why we're starting Celebrate Recovery in just a few weeks on November 6th. It'll be a big kickoff on, on Sunday night and uh, have worship time. We'll have a meal and, 
and we're going to start the, the whole process of, of celebrating recovery. It's a 52-week um, curriculum where you study these steps in detail. And, and it's based on God's Word. So you're going to be studying God's Word. You're going to be in small groups where you can form friendships that are, that are confidential. You can share those things. The men meet separately from the women whenever they're sharing things. Because one of the things we're not going to be is a, is a singles hookup group. That's one of the things we're going to say from the beginning. This is not a place for you to find someone else. This is a place for you to find God. This is a place for you to deal with healing. We're not interested in being a dating service. eHarmony.com. Go there if you want to find somebody, you know, fill out the 30-page form, whatever. And I've heard that it takes like three hours to fill that out. But anyway, we're not... Celebrate Recovery is about uncovering the stuff in your past and finding God's power to put your life back together. And, and it's going to be incredible. I think it's going to be one of the most significant things that our church has ever done. And when we look back, I think that God's going to, going to bless us because we're willing to step out in that area. Well, okay, let's look at quickly. How can you come clean with your past and grow spiritually? And Josh, I just want to thank you again for being willing to share, man. That's really cool. The first thing that you do is you start by praying for courage to examine and remember God's presence during the process. You start by praying for courage to examine and remember God's presence during the process. Courage. Why does it take courage? Well, let me, let me explain it this way. Last year, we, um, we did this thing called the Campaign of Kindness. And we were just doing all kinds of small acts of kindness. We'd hand out little pieces of paper that would say a small act of kindness, a whole world of difference. They'd have the map to our church. And, and we were inviting people to come to church, just raking leaves. We did a gasoline buy-down, you know, 25-cent discount. That was a blast to go out there. People were like, what are you doing? We're saying, well, it's an early Christmas present. God's blessed us, and we want to bless other people. And we did a Thanksgiving meal. And the Thanksgiving meal, what we did was we, we set up for like 300 people to be here. Now, we didn't have 300 people show up, so we quickly shifted gears. We bought like 30 turkeys, and we had all of this food everywhere. And so what we did was we started boxing up the meals. We started calling the police department and the fire department and the sheriff's department and nursing homes and hospitals. And, and we started taking meals out. We had people walking around the neighborhood knocking on doors. Hey, you need a Thanksgiving meal? We got a Thanksgiving meal. Found some shut-in people that were unable to get out. And, and it was really cool because Meals on Wheels was not... It was, it was before Thanksgiving, so they weren't um, open for a couple of days before that. And so we were taking meals to these shut-ins. We were just having a blast, boxing up food and just having a big old time um, giving away. So we ended up in, uh, handing out over 300 boxed meals um, last year, the Sunday before Thanksgiving, and just had a blast. Well, um, a couple of weeks later, Heather, who has this nose... Um, where are you, Heather? Oh, there you are. She has this nose, and it showed up again today, but... Um, a couple of weeks later, she goes, Doug, something's stinking in here. And I'm like, okay, well, I'll check it out. So my first thought is it's the, the disposal. We kind of have trouble with the disposal back there. So I go back there, and sure enough, there's some grotesque food particles down in there. And so I get the thing running, you know, and I pour bleach in there, and I'm pouring everything. We're spraying stuff around, and it smells better. And I'm thinking, okay, everything's cool. And we had this really crazy schedule around Christmas. And so... Um, we go up until Christmas and, and then we were off for like two weeks. We didn't have church for, for two weeks. We were meeting at other places. And uh, so we go home to, to Borger, to my parents, um, 500 miles away, and we're gone for a few days. And we come back and we have this New Year's Eve party, but it's not here at the church. It's somewhere else. So like seven weeks after this deal, uh, Caleb and I decide to come in the middle of the week. This was like January 5th of this, this year. We decide to come check on the church just to make sure, you know, church is still standing. Hadn't been by here in a couple of weeks. And so when I get to that glass door, you know, downstairs where you come in from the outside, I open the door and I'm like, 
oh, my soul, something's dead. And Caleb's with me. Caleb's like, oh, dad, that's nasty. And I said, you're right, baby. So as we come up the stairs, this odor, if you could see into the smell realm, it would have gotten darker as we came up the stairs because it's like thick. You know, you're kind of parting your way as you're coming through. We opened up this door over here. It's locked. You know, open that door. And it's like, oh, gosh. And I'm thinking we cannot have church in this building. We got to condemn this building. And so I had searched everywhere trying to figure out what was going on. And so I, I said, Caleb, we have got to find it. And he's, he's gagging. He has this unbelievable gag reflex. I mean, he was doing a, a contest with a friend of his the other day and, and bit into an olive and almost puked. I actually did have a little bit spurt out, you know, because I'm going, oh, dude, I'm going to have puke as well as this other stuff to clean up. And so I'm looking everywhere. I'm like, I have to find this. This was on a Thursday before we were going to meet. We were still meeting on Saturday nights back then. So I look everywhere, and just as a last resort, I look in the oven that's back there. Now, we bought the oven over a year ago, but we don't have a 220 plug over there. So we've never plugged it in. So I never in my wildest dreams thought anybody would put anything in there. I opened up that thing, and I almost threw up because this, this oh horrendous thing came rushing at my face. Caleb, I turn around, and he goes, ha! And he starts running, arms up in the air. He runs out of the building. He won't even stay near it. And I'm like, oh, God, i got to get this out of here. So I reach in and I grab this seven-week-old pan of, of what formerly was known as turkey, and I pull it out, and I'm really, I'm having to hold my breath. I'm having to stick my head over here and go as far as I can and not spill it. Because, dude, I don't know whoever packed this pan full. They did a great job because it was right up at the top. And I'm going, you know, just at, at glacier pace down the stairs. And I can't find my son. You know, I'm trying to get rid of this stuff. And he is nowhere to be found. And I go and I throw it away. And, and I'm just, I'm about to die the whole time. You know, you have to breathe through your nose because if you breathe through your mouth, it'll stain your teeth. It was one of those type things. If you have children, you know exactly what I'm talking about because you've been in some of those situations. Burns the nose hair, all of that stuff. Well, I finally get it thrown away. And I'm, and I'm just praying that they come and they dump the dumpster, you know, before... Saturday. And actually, they didn't. You know, anytime the wind would blow across the dumpster, you'd get this foul smell, you know. Oh, it was just disgusting. It took two solid days for this building to air out. Everything up, spraying stuff, you know, that those things that are supposed to eat odors, you know, that's the spray that says it, it eats it. It doesn't just cover it up. No, man, this thing was devouring anything that you put in here. Eventually, we got rid of all of the smell. And, uh, and I was so grateful to God that we could, we could come in here and, and uh, meet. Well, I tell you that story because this, this is the point. Seven-week-old turkey smells about the same as seven- to ten-year-old pain. You've heard the saying that time heals all wounds. That's a lie from hell. Time doesn't heal wounds. What happens is if you don't clean that wound out, that sucker festers and it rots. And it will come out in some way. And you'll see destroyed marriages. That's why you see this whole cycle of somebody passing on the exact things that their parents did that they said they would never do. They do it because when they're under stress, they go back to what they know. And they've never dealt with the pain in their past. And it's got to be cleaned out. And so it's at this point that I'm probably going to lose about 50% of you on this whole road to healing. Because you either do not have the courage or you don't have the desire to look into some of your closets because it's just too painful. It's a tough place to go. had a girl in my youth group uh, many years ago, beautiful young girl, but she didn't believe she was beautiful. Uh, the reason is she always dated the wrong kind of guys and, and they abused her. And uh, 
I didn't know about all of the stuff in her past, but, but her mom called and asked if I would start meeting with her. So on a weekly basis, we started meeting. I took her through this process called life mapping. And this really cool thing that a, that a psychiatrist had, uh, had developed, a Christian counselor. And what you do is you look back, you rehearse all of the good things that are in your life. All of the good things that have happened. If you've had success at anything, and you actually write it down. Man, we were sticking up these, these uh, uh, note cards everywhere. All the good things. And we're coming up with, with 50, 60, 100 good things that have happened in her life. And we're looking at verses of Scripture. You know, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. And just all of this truth that we're looking at. And boy, she was eating that up, just having a good time. And then we got to a point where you were supposed to look at your past. And supposed to deal with your past. And I have never seen it visibly, as I did at this, in this instance, when, when we got to the point we were supposed to look at her past, she slammed the door to her past and she said, uh-uh, I'm not going to go there. And she quit coming to see me. And immediately she got into another destructive relationship where the guy abused her uh, emotionally and sexually. And for years, she didn't come close to healing because she refused to deal with her past. Just now, many, many years later, she's starting to get a handle on that. And you know what the first step was? She had to examine her past and see what was going on. She had to open that closet. And years later, it stinks even more. It's a scary place to go, but you've got to deal with it. Had a girl sitting on my floor, living room floor this week, who was raped a couple of years ago. And she was telling me about her depression that she went through. And people that knew her at college were saying, you, you hadn't been the same for years. And when she, you know when she started getting healing? She went to mom and dad and she said, I've been raped. I remember the first time she told me. She just openly sobbed. Now today, a couple years later, she can start dealing with that because she looked at it. She realized, you know, it wasn't her fault that she got raped. But she was carrying guilt and shame around and it was festering and it was ugly. And she went through some depression over that. You start getting healing when you take this first step of examining your past. Um, Joshua 1.9, God says to Joshua right before he goes to a big time major battle, he says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. If you took step three last week and you turned over the, the steering wheel to God, know that what the promise of Scripture is, is that he will be there with you and he'll walk with you through this. Now, here's the second step, and this is where it kind of gets tough. Put the past in writing. Oh, I can already hear you whining and complaining about this. Why put it in writing? Because it will not become specific until you write it down. Thoughts tend to disentangle themselves when they go from your brain through your fingertips. So this is, this is what you do. And I have this on there. I, I include this on your listening guide. Here's the things that you need to, to uh, consider and write down. And by the way, don't run through this. Take some time, you know, maybe just a question every couple of days. Really think through this. Here's the first one. What do I feel guilty about? Now, I could I could just go around the room and we could spend the next three days talking about things we feel guilty about. That's an easy one for us to identify. You list those things. That's the easy part. But then the next part is how has it hurt you? That's a little bit tougher to think about and write down. And then the toughest part of that is what's my part in it? Because if you've made some choices to do destructive behavior, you have some responsibility. It may not, this girl that was in this relationship, um, the guy, it was a date rape situation. I don't think she bears a whole lot of blame on that. Because this, you know, you don't bear the blame if someone rapes you. 
But there are other situations she's made some really dumb choices. Other things that she's done. She has to think about those things. The next is, who do I resent? Oh, boy, we could have long lists. Many of them start with parents, you know, siblings, employer, you know, all those types of things. Um, why, do you, why do you resent them? It may be their divorce. It may be that they weren't involved in your life. Um, there's a lot of father hunger, a lot of mother hunger in our lives. That's a normal thing. Who do you resent? Be honest. And the point is to honestly examine. How has it hurt me? What was my part? Then you write down, what are your fears? I bet if we're honest, everybody here has a fear of being rejected. Right? No, not me. I don't care how many times I'm rejected. Bull. Be honest. Do you have a fear about it? Then write it down. Why do you have that fear about it? How does it affect you? And what is your part in that? Now, look at this verse. Proverbs twenty twenty seven. The Lord's searchlight penetrates the human spirit, exposing every hidden motive. Would you let God come and, and help you with your past? Help bring healing to you? You put it in writing, even though it's tough. When I've done this in my life, and I've done this a number of times, it has been a step towards healing. The longer you take to do this, the uglier your pain is going to be. And the more stench it's going to bring to your life. Now, I'm not suggesting, suggesting that you make a long list and that we put it up here or that you pass it around work, you know, so that everybody can see what's going on. Or you screen print it, you know, on a T-shirt. No. In fact, when I've made lists, I've been so um, ashamed by some of my lists that I've taken them and burned them. There's several times when I was a teenager, you know, our youth minister would have us go through and write down the sins that we'd committed. And I didn't want anybody to know. So I'd go home in my patio and get a little lighter and, and I'd burn it. And then I'd crush up all of the ashes because I didn't want anybody to know. Um, sometimes you may have to do that with your list because you don't want anybody to find out about it. But it's got to be cleaned out. You're going to find some stuff probably that's nasty in your past. That's ugly. But if we don't clean it out, you're not going to get healing. Third thing you need to do is take time to learn. Especially from the third category, which is what is my part in, in my hurt, in my past? What am I responsible for? Psalm 139, 23 and 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. The point is that if I really want to stop defeating myself, I've got to stop deceiving myself. And, and pretending that it's everybody else's fault when the issue's really me. You can only blame your parents for so long. You know, I've got some pain from my parents, but I had to deal with that at some point. And I can't blame my parents for stupid decisions I'm making today. I'm 41. At some point, I've got to start taking responsibility for me and not blame my past. I've got to do the possible and trust God for the impossible. I came across this rules for being human uh, several years ago, and I thought this really applied here when you're talking about learning Here's rule number one for being human. You will learn lessons. Rule number two, there are no mistakes, only lessons. Rule number three, a lesson is repeated until it is learned. Rule number four, if you don't learn the easy lessons, they get harder. Pain is one way God gets your attention. Do you know if we didn't have any pain, probably most of us would never turn to God in the first place. It's when we finally realize we can't handle stuff that we turn it over to God. And then number five, you'll know you've learned a lesson when your actions change. Your actions don't change. You hadn't learned. The fourth step you need to do is you need to ask God for forgiveness. Now, here's the thing that some people have a hard time with. God forgives instantly, freely, and completely. 
instantly, freely, and completely, God forgives you. And some of you are saying, well, why do I have to ask God for forgiveness if He already knows about it? Because there's power in saying it. You may know somebody ripped off a hundred bucks from you. And you may, you know, have the power to forgive them, but it sure is nice. What do you want to hear them say? You want them to hear, you want to hear them say, I'm sorry, I blew it. Will you forgive me? A lot of times that makes it easier. There's power in those types of words. And here's what God's promise is to you. Isaiah 1.18, no matter how deep the stain of your sin is, I can take it out and make it clean as freshly fallen snow. That's what's called a soap bar verse. God will cleanse you. He says, no matter how deep the stain of your sin is. I've had people tell me, God can't forgive me. You don't know what I've done. You're right. I don't know what you've done. But God knows. And you are not going to surprise Him. And to be honest with you, I've been doing this minister thing. I was a youth minister for 19 years and been been a pastor for three years. I don't think you can tell me anything at this point that would surprise me. I mean, I've heard people just pour out stuff that they expect me to recoil in horror, and I've heard most of it before. Because life life stinks sometimes. The stuff that we've gone through. If you've already asked God, this is a real important point, if you've already asked God to forgive you, and you still feel guilty, that guilt is not from God. It's from the devil. There is an enemy of God, and his name is Satan. And what he wants to do is he wants to throw up your past to you. See, if, you're, if you become a child of God, He's lost you for eternity, so the only alternative He has left is to try to make you ineffective today. He wants to throw up, you're a loser, you're past, nobody can forgive you. You don't want those people to know that. Those are the things that He's going to tell you, that kind of junk, because He wants to keep you from coming to God. The one thing He fears is a praying Christian, He fears God's Word, and He fears what God can do in your life if you turn your life over to Him. Because God is this master at taking the thing that you fear the most that's going to be come out. God takes that thing and He gives you a ministry through it. And He gives you a way to connect with other people that you would never have had. Now, God didn't plan that for your life. God is redeeming that in your life. He's taking your past, which is ugly, and He's making it impressive for the future that you have gotten some power. Because people are going to say, how have you gotten over that? And when, then you say, it was God. And you tell them about your life. By the way, do you know every child of God has a couple of sermons? What my life was like before Christ how I met Christ, and what my life has been like since. you got three sermons at least. Maybe it's time we start sharing the preaching duties here. Um, number five, talk it out with a trusted friend. Okay, I know some of you. I'm telling you, if you'll take these steps, it's going to make a difference. But the key word here is trusted. God says that it is absolutely essential for your recovery. If you're losing the battle against a persistent bad habit, an addiction or a temptation, you're stuck in this um, repeating cycle of, of bad habit, um, in good intention, failure, guilt. You just keep doing this over and over, that type of cycle. You're not going to get better on your own. God has designed you so that you have a desire and a need for Him and you have a desire and a need for other people. Some temptations are only overcome with a partner who prays for you and encourages you. Why is it that I am more effective in my workout program if I have a partner who's not my wife? Because my wife, it's really say, baby, I'm tired today. But I have a partner that like, get off your rear and do something. I don't care how tired you are. And if I have a partner, I stick with it more. Why is it that professional athletes have coaches? I mean, we, we played soccer yesterday. It was, it was the first time we've really gotten drummed in our, in our Tyler soccer league. 
And um, do you think those boys are going to come back and work harder on their own, those 10-year-old boys? No. What would 10-year-old boys do? They'd run around, throw rocks. That's what they do when you leave them alone. You turn your back on You need a coach. You need somebody to help you get through all this stuff in your life. James 5.16 says, Admit your faults to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. How are we healed? By admitting our faults and our failures to others. Well, why do I need to drag another person into this? Why can't I just make my list, burn it, tell God about it, and then go on? Because our problems are relational. Our problems are relational. We deceive each other. We put on masks. We pretend that we've got it all together. And and we really don't. And what it does is this isolates us from others. We end up living with this shame and it makes us insecure. If they knew the truth about me, they wouldn't love me. And so what happens is I get sick. I get sick emotionally. I get sick spiritually. Um, I get sick. And I am only as sick as my secrets. We've been saying that over and over again. The secrets that I hold on to are the ones that make me sick. If you really want to get healed from persistent temptation, persistent failure, then you've got, to, you've got to go to God's solution for it. God's solution is don't repress it, confess it. Don't conceal it, reveal it. God says, revealing your feelings is the beginning of healing. I like that? Y'all can take that with you. That's free. The truth is, whatever you can't talk about in your life is already out of control. Whatever you are afraid to admit right now that comes into your mind, that's already out of control in your life. And it could be your finances, your marriage, your kids, your thoughts, your sexuality, secret habits, whatever. If you could have handled it on your own, you would have done it by now. But you can't, so you won't. That's why God says, admit your faults to one another. Pray for one another so that you can be healed. You don't have to tell everybody. Just somebody. And all of a sudden, the secret that's been making you sick doesn't make you sick anymore. One of my good friends a couple weeks ago called me. He goes, dude, I've been holding this in. i got a knot in my stomach. I cannot deal with this anymore. I can't sleep at night. And he just starts telling me. He said, I've not told a soul. Starts telling me over the phone. I'm going, wow, dude, that's, that's pretty heavy. And at the end of the conversation, he goes, I already feel better. Just sharing it. I said, you know, that's one of the principles we're going to talk about, ironically, in Celebrate Recovery. Be specific. The secret you want to conceal the most is the one that you need to reveal the most because that's where you need God's grace and that's what will heal you. And maybe you're not at this step yet. Maybe you're not ready to take this step. That's okay. Just keep coming. You've not had enough pain in your life yet. A lot of times we don't change until the pain is so unbearable that we've got to do something. God's going to bring you to that point. I promise. And then when He does, you take this step as soon as possible for the sake of your family and your friends and for your life. Let's pray together.